Hi, and welcome into the Charlie Reimer Balls in the Air podcast. I hope that 2022 is off to a great start for you. I know it is for me because right here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the golf capital of the world, I'm sitting in a shiny new studio. I'm going to even say it's my studio. And uh, lots of new things for lots of people, including my new co-host, David Williams. Uh, David, I've never met you in my life. I don't know who you are. All of a sudden, I showed up one day, and they're like, oh, you got a new co-host. It's David. Um, Tell the people about yourself, David. Actually, I do know a lot about David. So, Charlie, I'll fill you in and the people in on myself. uh, I've been in Myrtle Beach working for Golf Tourism Solutions and PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com. In this building? In this building. I've seen you around here from time to time. We've done a couple little tiny (laughs) things together. It's nothing really important, folks. Uh, But um, I've been here in Myrtle Beach for about four years, be four years in March. mm -hmm. Uh, I have a background in video editing um, from broadcasting school I realized very early on that I wasn't meant I my dream was to be working for NBC golf channel somebody doing on-air stuff on course in the studio stuff like that and I very quickly realized during our performance class that I was definitely not meant for that so I mean <laughs> wait, wait 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 broadcast school yeah so so like I've been a broadcaster for 25 years I don't know anything about broadcasting I mean Hell, I even made a D in public speaking at Georgia Tech. I, mean, I don't know anything about broadcasting, but when I walk through like control rooms, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's for our new studio here or big control rooms on network shows I've been able to do, I see all kinds of buttons and oh, yeah. flashy things and meters. I have no idea what any of that stuff is. You actually know what that stuff is. For the most part, yes. Yeah. So uh, I went to Western Kentucky University for some of you folks that maybe our Tennessee and Kentucky listeners might actually know where that is. Are those Hilltoppers? The Hilltoppers, correct. Hilltoppers. See, smart guy. Uh-huh. Um, so freshman year, they kind of like, it's kind of, they hold your feet to the fire. They try to weed out the people who just couldn't decide on a major and they wanted to pick broadcasting. So they put you in the control room and then the second part of it is performance classes. Mm-hmm. And for me, the easiest part was the control room. You know, I learned my way around relatively quickly. And, but I'm like, I want to be on camera. And then I got in the yeah, performance. Yeah, because you think you're pretty. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and me. there's really only a few of us that are actually pretty enough to be on camera. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, my mother always told me I had a face <laughs> made for radio. So, um, but I've, like, so, you know, first performance class, second semester of my freshman year, and I sit down, I'm ready to go, and they're like, all right, floor director counts down, I'm like, five, four, three, and I'm like, then <gasps> I just, like froze and I like very quickly realized that I was meant to be behind the camera and Uh. be an editor and stuff so I started working on you know doing news stories around Bowling Green doing news stories for WKU Sports Uh, and then just kind of parlayed that with my marketing minor into this job here now working in social media for GTS and playgolfmarbleach.com. So so, so I got a question for you. The the guy that counts backwards by four because it starts out with like the full hand five four And then, and I never hear the two one. I assume mm-hmm. that's intentional. That's called a floor director. Yes. See, I've already learned something. There you go. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I, I didn't. I mean, I knew the person was there. I didn't know the job title. Yes, it, it's a floor director. You're, you're a smart. <laughs> quick, quick, quick learner. I will have to guy. start writing some of this stuff down mm-hmm. that I'm learning from you. You should. You should. Uh, well, tell me. I mean, I'm, we've been out on the golf course some. I mean, I wouldn't say that you really have a golf game. I mean, you. Clearly enjoy playing. Yeah. Tip, I mean, <laughs> nah, you're a good player. T- t- tell me about your experience with golf, why you love this game so much. So I got into golf back 
I played it when we lived in St. Louis, um, but obviously in the winter time, St. Louis in the winter, it's miserable. So and and the summer is pretty miserable too. Yeah, and that's why you people from St. Louis are grumpy. I yeah. wouldn't say that. I mean, <laughs> I mean if you talk well, to some people, maybe, but well, they make beer there. That keeps you from being too grumpy. Absolutely, and the yeah. food is. Uh, um, so we moved to Atlanta when I was in seventh grade or so, and. I realized quickly that I could play golf year-round, and so I just, you know, I didn't play any other sports. I just put everything towards golf and played golf all four years in high school, and I, my swing is homemade. Uh, I'm sure as you can tell, it's horrible, but I've just figured out the timing, and it works. Um, I, I could help you with that, but I'd honestly rather watch you keep struggling. It's more fun yeah, for me. Yeah, I see you keep taking my money and stuff. Um, <laughs> But it, I, you know, in high school after after uh, after school each day, Dad and I would go, you know, hit golf balls or go walk nine holes, and that's kind of really when I fell in love with it. And then in college, I'd go back home or I'd stay in Bowling Green and work for a golf course, so I got obviously playing privileges, which was nice. Yeah. And that's when I really like started to really try to get back to playing competitive golf, and it's just it's fun. It's an escape. It's four hours to turn your kind of turn your brain off, escape. The actual reality of life, and it's just—I don't know—it's just fun for me. I know, I know you love it. We're joking about, I had no idea who you are. We've been working together for quite a few yeah. years now. And yeah. We do have a lot of fun, and I'm thrilled that uh, uh, you're going to be uh, stepping in from time to time, quite often helping me with the uh, with the podcast. I just want you to know, in this in this partnership, I'm being real clear right up front. This is show one with you. In our partnership, I'm Batman, you're Robin. Deal. That's okay. fine. I'm, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> you know what? I'm, we'll take it. I'll sign that piece of paper sitting right there right now. All right. You got it. Have you been paying much attention to the PGA Tour yeah. season? Yeah. Hey, I don't want to say this, um, getting off to a start, uh, because the tour, listen, I remember the tour for, for not as long as I'd have wished that I would have been, but... They, they can talk about all they want, how the tour starts in the fall. The tour doesn't start until we get to Hawaii. It, it, and exactly, and I'll even hammer that point home for you even more, is that I, like I said, love golf, watch it a lot, very invested in it. I had a golf blog that covered the PGA Tour for before I got this job. And I watched, the last thing I watched was the Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't watch a single event. But the moment that Kapalua came around, I tuned into that, and I watched a little bit last week when I was able to. So I agree with you. I don't think it really starts until Hawaii. Well, the, th- the thing about it is events in the fall are very important. But it, it, you get through a year, and it's like Olympics, and then you, you, know, you, you got one of the big international team competitions. Yep. You got, um, and, I, and I've really grown to enjoy the playoffs. Uh, Eastlake, we get drama every year. And it's like everybody goes home for a week, a week, and then, oh, it's the start of the PGA Tour. I ain't buying it. Nobody yeah. else is buying it either in the TV ratings show. Those are, those are friends and family events is what they are. Now, they're really important events, yes. and, and in particular to the players, because mm-hmm. if you go in at a time of year as a player when, when a lot of folks, the top players might be, I'm not going to say blowing them off, but, but not playing. If you're, if you're a member of, a, of another tour, you got to go play that time of year. you got to play some home events on your other tour. You need to have some time off. Yeah. But if you, if you can slide in and get off to a good start in those fall events, it's great for you, but nobody's watching. No. It, you know, like Max Homa won in the fall last year, um, and he's kind of set up for almost the rest of the year. Right. As long as he just you know, plays decently well and doesn't miss every cut. 
It's just, I have a hard time because from a fan perspective, and I'm sure some people out there probably think the same thing, but it's such a long year. And really, the from Hawaii to Augusta, like that's the downhill run. Like everybody's uh-huh. very excited week in, week out. We're, everybody's looking forward to Augusta. And then kind of after that, it kind of loses a little bit of steam, I feel like. You get into the summer, you know, people are traveling. They're not necessarily sitting down to watch golf as opposed to Right now, when it's Hawaii, Phoenix, California, when yeah. it's cold, they can't it's be fired up. People yeah. love, yes. you know, you're sitting in Ames, Iowa, and you're looking at people playing golf in Honolulu, and they're shooting 900 million under par. And it's like, I want to do that. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, then, exactly. and then when we get to the Phoenix Open, mm-hmm. you see all the crowds out there, the energy and all that, and, and it's easy to get fired up. And then uh, I, I think having a PGA championship move to May that, that, to me, makes a lot of sense. And then, and then the Players' Championship is back in the colder part of the, the, the year. So you know, you're looking at you got Players' March. And that's a better golf course one. It's overseeded. The yeah. weather makes it more interesting. The wind's yeah. swirlier around mm-hmm. 17. And, and then but you, you've basically got a big event, uh, April, May, June, July, all the, all the way right up into the Tour Championship. But it's this big crescendo. And what happens is if you have the crescendo, everybody goes home for a while. It yeah, doesn't happen exactly. anymore. That's the, the going home part's what doesn't happen. Yeah, and you know, I, a lot of players have kind of voiced their, I wouldn't say frustration with it, but they're just kind of like, hey, like, you know, baseball, football, hockey, yeah. basketball, they all have off seasons. Right. And they're kind of like, hey, we don't have off seasons. So like, we can't go play the safe way or any of those like we not that they don't want to but like they're people too they need time off and yeah like i'm sure you know when you were playing on tour and everything like you probably felt the same way a couple of times when it was super busy and you were like i need some time off yeah oh i need a lot of time off most of the time i took off was on saturday and sunday which wasn't really well <laughs> didn't work very well i didn't say that he said it he said it i did not say that <laughs> Yeah, I used to, I, I joked that I used to buy the cheap tickets to fly home on Friday night. And if I happened to make the cut, I'd pay the change fee to, to go home on Sunday. I didn't have to pay too many change fees. But you almost get the feeling that the objective of the PGA Tour is show every shot by every player, more golf every day, all day long. And, and that, that sounds good, but, but I... I I go back to the, the Masters. St- the Masters still doesn't have complete coverage, and people no. are dying to get more. It's almost like you'd rather have them dying to get more than showing them more than they could possibly consume. Yeah, and like you know, obviously you were you have called the Masters a handful of times um, for Westwood One and everything, but the Masters, in my opinion, does the best job of showcasing golf. Through the app and through their the, app is good. Masters app is good. It's, it's the best app, not in golf, not in sports. That's the best app I've ever seen. A, any app. It, it never seems to go down. Yeah. And I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people. Right, and the picture quality is perfect. It, yeah. It's unbelievable. But you know, I, for the tour, it's kind of it's interesting because they they want to show, like you said, they want to show as many shots as possible. On the other hand, though, they have to sell commercial spots. They mm-hmm. have to fulfill these TV contracts. So it kind of gets hard. So then they have PGA Tour Live. And they did an awesome thing with PGA Tour Live and integrating it with ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. And I've had a chance to do some of that PGA Tour Live. I, lo- I, I love doing it. It's a good, good product. But you wonder when you're doing it, 
You know, like like on a Thursday, starting at seven in the morning, you know, and you go all the way into the live. Who? I mean, how many people are watching? Right. Who's watching? Where are they watching? And should somebody be working somewhere? You know, you (laughs) you just wonder. I think maybe ESPN will help. ESPN Plus will help with that. But still, you know, outside of like you said, the Masters, in my opinion, does the best job of showcasing as many golf shots as possible. But even they can't show every golf shot. It's just kind of like an un, almost like an unrealistic expectation. You know, they they can't show every shot, but you can navigate through their app and and whoever your favorite player is, and it's anyone yes. in the field, you can watch every shot that they hit. Yes, and that's like the only technology. I think they're the only ones that can really do that. Well, I think the tour is moving in that direction, yeah. and and uh, yeah, that the idea that. You could watch a sporting event and basically produce and direct your own sporting event and watch who you want to watch when you want to watch. I mean, that's that's pretty cool stuff. There's really no other league that's honestly doing that. And yeah. I guess golf is unique in that kind of way. Professional golf is. But, um, yeah, it's it's incredible because... I, and I think, you know, part of that is just because they have so many players that they have yeah. to keep up with. It's hard. Well, one of the things... That attracted me to broadcasting and TV was um, I wasn't a huge practicer, uh, as my wife told me quite a few times. Um, <laughs> and and um, you know you, you you play golf and you go practice for an hour or two hours. I mean it, seriously, practicing like a tour player for an hour or two hours that's that's different than what most people might think. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a lot of time you got to rest. Well, let's say you got an early morning tea time on Thursday, you're leaving the golf course at three o'clock, and it's like, well, I, I can go back to my hotel room, mm-hmm. and what you know, what am I gonna do? Or I can go over here, and I'd made friends with most of the broadcasters, and and I go sit in the production truck in the compound, or go get in one of the towers, and I, I would just sit and watch and listen. They'd give me a spare headset, and I was just fascinated by the business. It wasn't anything that I was thinking about doing down the future, which is I was just killing some time. And I yeah. love, you know, like Gary McCord, David Faraday, those guys were great to me. Andy North, Billy Kratzer, um, Peter Costas. It was, it was just cool. They're, you know, those were, those, they're great folks. They're cool folks. They're yeah, fun to hang out absolutely. with, you know, and you're on the road on tour and you don't know the city and there, you know, you go to dinner with Gary McCord. It's like, you know, you're a rookie on tour. That's like the cool, you know, cool thing. So that's how I got exposed to broadcasting. But, even in those days, a television broadcast is not a not even a major championship. Mm-hmm. There's there's 300 people working on it, yeah. and and the the complexity behind it is unbelievable, yes. and and it's highly orchestrated. I mean, these people are pros, yes. and and they'll tell you the two hardest sports to broadcast mm-hmm. are golf and auto racing, yeah. Because you pretty much think about it, just about any other sport. Nothing happens while you're a commercial. No. You know, there's only like one ball yeah. or one person, you know. Those and they, commercial breaks are built in. Right, exactly. And, and But in golf, you got to go to a commercial break at some point. So yeah. then you have to tape stuff while you're gone. Then you come back and you show the tape stuff. And then while you're showing tape stuff, other cool stuff is happening. And then you show that on tape or do you update it and then go to live. The, the golf producers, and, that, and that's a person who's sitting in a chair making the calls, are some of the highest IQ people I've ever met in my life. Like Tommy Roy with NBC is a legend in our business. Yeah. Uh, Lance Barrow recently retired from CBS, had a chance to, to work for Lance, the smartest producer that I ever worked for. Um, 
his name is Andy Young, and mm-hmm. Andy Young was, um, well, still is. Um, he's one. You know how you run into like people that are successful and got multiple degrees, yeah. And then you run into the people that are like super, super successful, and the people with multiple degrees work for them. Yeah. And these people were so smart that college couldn't even teach them anything, so they dropped out. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's like producers. Yeah. Andy Young is that way. He can produce and direct and do the whole nine yards, and you can't keep up with what all he's doing. He's like three or four shots ahead, boom, 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 calling it. And and just to learn how they operate, how they do it. Um, you, you take Tommy Roy doing a U.S. Open um, with, I don't know, there's got to be 90-plus cameras out there, plus tape machines, plus all these options he can do. And, and it... He's got to make the call and go do it. It's unbelievable how complicated that is. And like, you know, from going to a handful of golf tournaments and seeing, I remember being at the PGA at Quail Hollow back in maybe 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2013. But walking around and like stumbling upon where all those trucks and everything are parked. And Mm -hmm. it's... It's a legitimate office park almost. It's big time. It's un, it, it was unbelievable because, and I just like stood there kind of looking at it and I'm like, because this is when I was still in broadcasting school thinking I might be on camera. Yeah. But, um, and I, I was looking at it and I'm like, holy cow. Like I couldn't even begin to ima- like, imagine yeah. how all of that stuff works. Yeah, like, no, it, and it, it's, it's um, again, it's a lot of really smart, super talented people. I've, I've had a chance to broadcast the Olympics and, and um, walking around in the International Broadcast Center of the Olympics and being able to get behind the scenes and mm-hmm. see what's going on there. Yeah. I, I, it, it's absolutely crazy. In fact, what they do at NBC for the Olympics is, wow, before an existing Olympics is even finished, they're breaking down what's there and taking it to the next site for two years. Away and it takes them that long to set up for the next site and the next site and it's just the logistics is phenomenal. Insane. It's crazy to think about. I want to circle back kind of to something you said. You know, you were rattling off broadcasters you worked with and, you know, Gary McCord and David Faraday. What is it like to work with, you know, as fans, you hear them, you know, we miss Gary McCord and all those guys on TV. What's it like? Like, what makes them so different? What makes them stand out amongst everybody else? Well, Gary McCord once told me this. He, he said, um, he said, you should try out to be a broadcaster. He said, you're perfect for it. And, and uh, I, I said, I'm not qualified to be a broadcaster. He said, you are an idiot, and that qualifies you <laughs> to be a broadcaster. <laughs> So some people come in and they'll they'll try and they'll uh, you know like, like having an earpiece in and somebody's talking to you while you're talking you got to process all this information and some people just can't do it and some people can do it and then a lot of times it'll be like well you you got an extra gene if you can do a you know if you can be a live broadcaster and I'd argue you're a few short <laughs> so it, it's uh, um, some of the things that you can learn their skills that you can learn. Uh, like interviewing is something that I just thought it was just sitting down and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're doing a live interview yeah. on network television, you just can't wing it. You no. have to have a game plan. But, but then you have to have this flexibility to do it. And, and um, the interesting thing is that nobody ever teaches you how to do it. You yeah. have to figure it out on your own or have other broadcasters help you. 
Uh, Bill McAtee, a longtime CBS announcer, after I butchered a live interview with Tiger Woods, <laughs> he found me after the show and he said, let's sit down and talk. And I'm like, okay. And he said, um, nobody ever taught you how to do an interview, did they? And I said, is it that obvious? He said, yep. Yeah. And <laughs> so he helped me through the process. But there's, there's not like a team of people yeah. that are coming in to teach you how to do stuff. It, it's sink or swim. And typically they'll throw you in the... Uh, in the deep end of the pool and just see how you do. And, hmm. and um, it, it's, um, um, it, it's an interesting business. It sort of gets in your blood. If you like doing it, you, you, yeah. know, you have to do it. Yeah. Um, you have to. But for some people, like you found out very early, it's not for you, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and it's good that you did, because mm. some people try it for a while before and they figure out. Going, yeah, yeah, going, but, yeah, but again, there's, there's certain skills that you can learn, and then certain things you just have to be born with yeah but like for example um what uh the the um u.s open at um at aaron hills mm -hmm. um the hotel that the announcers were staying in the tv crews were in it was it was like an hour and 20 minutes away so i, I had to be on site it's when i was doing the morning show at golf channel i had to be on site at uh i don't know something like 3 30 a.m local right so there'd be four announcers and we get in a car and we drive out through these cornfields in Wisconsin and and um, four announcers on a phone talking to somebody at the same time in a small car in the big announcer voice and everybody can hear everything that everybody's saying oh, Lord. you know and it, and, and it would drive it would drive everybody crazy but not us we you know that's it you know that's just the environment you work in so yeah. you I mean that's that's like a, I don't know how you would find these traits but that's a trait that you have to have to be able to be an announcer. It just sounds like something you're kind of born with. You're really. born with like, it. You don't, yeah. That's not something that like, that's not something they would have taught me in broadcasting school. That's yeah, exactly. I, well, I would have liked to have gone to broadcasting school because at the top of the show we were having some fun with it. But really, all the machines and stuff, I don't have any idea how any of them work. I, and and some of the terms that get thrown mm -hmm. around. You know, like I, I got enough pride that like you know an obvious term like layout. Yep. I, it took me like five years to figure out that layout means shut the hell up. Yes. And, and I, I, I didn't know. And nobody would tell me. And I'd act like I knew what the term was. And I, I can't remember exactly how I figured it. Well, I think somebody finally, you know, do, do you not know that layout means shut the hell up? And I went, wow, I finally got yeah, that. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, broadcasting school and for anybody like out there that has a family member or somebody that, you know, wants to do it, it's, it doesn't hurt to give it a shot because you do like I learned a lot of things. It's not just performance classes and learning to edit and stuff like that. I had no prior video editing experience going into that, so that was a big learning curve for me. And you got to kind of spend some time. You got to you have to fail a lot. You have to fail a ton, and you know stuff isn't always going to go right. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, and that's just part of life. Right. And kind of the quicker you can. The quicker you can fail get, early. Yes, and the the quicker you can kind of get over that and pick yourself back up and like put yourself back out there, like get yourself back out to film that next story, hunt down that next lead that you heard about, like write that script, get on live radio, like just do it. You know, mm. it's it's all in broadcasting. It's kind of a it's kind of about bouncing back. Yeah, 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 and and not taking things personal. Exactly. And then the other thing is, over the years, I've had a lot of young people ask me about getting into broadcasting. You, uh, for every 
thousand calls you make, you'll get one call back. Yes. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's just a, something about our business. People don't return calls, they don't, recall, they don't return emails. Don't take it personal, because it's, if, you're, if you're trying to break into live broadcasting, you gotta realize that who you're contacting, they've either just finished a show and, the, and they're trying to wind down, or they're getting ready to do a show, yes. and they don't have time to deal with you. And, and you, you have to be incredibly persistent to get on their radar, get their attention, and have them give you a shot. And when you get a shot in live broadcasting, it doesn't matter what it is, you gotta take it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if it's, like, like I was, I've, I've, ne I've never met her, I have tremendous respect for her, but Erin Andrews, who mm -hmm. got, got on with ESPN, is now with Fox, she's a tremendous broadcaster. <clears throat> the way I heard she got in the business was, um, when, when crews would come through Atlanta, she would just go and say, hey, can I help? how can I help? And it started out just bringing coffee, you know? And, and, and I mean, literally bringing coffee. And then it was like, hey, somebody didn't show up. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do that if it's running cable? If it's doing whatever it is, well, that's how yes. you have to get into this business. Absolutely. I remember one of our one of my teachers in college told us, he said, you know, and he warned us, he, had, he worked in broadcasting for years and still did for Fox 5 Nashville. And he was like, it was our capstone class senior year, we were all getting ready to graduate. And he was like, look, he said, it's not gonna be easy, but there are a lot of jobs out there. He said, but there's, you're gonna have to be borderline annoying. He yeah. Said, I mean, he goes, you, he goes, you make three phone calls, Go ahead and make three more. Right. He said because you can't sit back and rely on it. You have to keep pushing and pushing. That's the way you got to do it. Yep. Ke Kelly Tillman, who grew up right here in Myrtle Beach, uh, played college golf at Duke. A lot of people don't realize that, and uh, she thought she was a pretty good player until she saw Annika play one day, yeah. and then she decided she better do something else. Yeah. But she started at uh, Golf Channel, uh, working in the uh, digital library well back then it was a digital mm -hmm. um but that's that's where she got her start yeah. and and uh she's very persistent and she ended up being the first female to uh um call play-by-play -play in, in a major sport and uh, has, has had a phenomenal career um i tell you who i like watching her career uh, and she's super nice is amanda balionis with yes, cbs she's awesome yeah amanda you know she she's just like positive and upbeat that players respect her um, she, she works her tail off, she, but she started, I first saw her, she was working for the PGA Tour back before PGA Tour Live and, and yeah. um, um, you know, taking the assignments, doing what she needs to do um, and, and just, you know, working, working her way to the top and j just by doing a great job um, and, and li listen, th this is the other thing that drives me nuts. If, you, if you're in live TV um, and I see young people <laughs> all the time, you don't get the luxury of being late. No, the number one thing is no, like no, on time, no, no. right? You no. know, I mean, you have got to be on time, yes. but, but that work ethic, um, getting in early, staying late, doing whatever needs to be done. I mean, that, that's what Amanda did. And now she's at, she's at the top. And, and she's and awesome. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, and, and, and you can see it with interaction with the players. Mm -hmm. And, and they, cause they all know that she's really good and she worked her butt off to get there. Yes. So, um, yes. yeah, it, it's, it's definitely cool to see that. It is. And I go back to her. One of my favorite moments uh, of hers was Dustin Johnson's interview she, he, uh, she did with him after he won the Masters back in 2020. You know, Dustin's this character. You never, you, we never think, we think he's just kind of going through the motions, walking around, doesn't care. 
and she made him cry in a post-run interview and it's like hey like that's a good interviewer yeah and that's a really good interviewer yeah yeah she's she's good the the, the skill that i learned from um, as i mentioned from bill mcatee on interviewing it the first few times you do it <clears throat> you get so caught up in what am i going to ask what am i going to ask what's my next question what's my next question that you don't hear the reply to your last question yeah. and and while you have to have a idea of the direction you're gonna go, if your subject say something incredibly interesting, you have to be able to throw your plan out and go that direction. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll give you an example um, where I really screwed this up. I was doing a live interview with Tiger Woods in the locker room at Castle Pines in Denver, the international, the old Stableford tournament. And um, uh, it, it's not a, it's not a funny example, there's nothing funny about it, but just showing you how bad you can mess up. I'm interviewing Tiger. Nobody's ever told me how to do interviews. Um, and um, he says something about uh, a remark about his dad, um, you know, having a heart attack and, and it's starting to get a little personal and you know, how much his dad means to him mm -hmm. and, and the tough situation he's in uh, with, with his health. And I, I didn't hear any of that. I'm thinking about the next thing I'm going to ask him instead of, you know, following up with that or properly acknowledging what he just said. I asked him something and I thought was going to get a funny response. Yeah. And so coming off of him talking about his dad having a heart attack, I'm like, great, great. Um, tell me, have you had any of the milkshakes that they have around here? You know, and he just looked at me like I'm crazy. But that's me yeah. completely screwing up an interview. You know, and, and, I, and I think, and to this day, I'm embarrassed by it, mm -hmm. but I learned and I never did that again. And what Bill McAtee from CBS told me was uh, after that, we went to dinner that night and he goes, if, if you're going to be doing an interview, always have like two questions in your back pocket that are generic, that might not be award-winning questions, but if you get caught up and you feel like you're choking, you can ask those questions and it'll get you out of the hole you're in and get you back on track. Kind of like fallback questions. Yeah, fallback questions, yeah. yep. And that's, that's exactly what I learned. Yeah. So, it, and it really helped me a lot and it freed me up to where, okay, I'm not so worried about what my next question is, but I'm listening to the subject. You yes. know, and, and you, you, you see it sometimes when a player will do an interview and, and it'll be going along the lines of, hey, you've been putting like crap all year. And today, you know, you had 21 putts. It's the best putting round you've ever had in, in your life. Tell me about it. And the player's like, well, yeah, Birdie, this hole, this hole, this hole. And I made this change that really helped me. And then instead of saying, well, what was the change? You ask them about, you know, something else, yeah. you know, when, when they're, they're like wanting to answer the question. All you got to do is say, tell me the change. Yeah. And people are listening, going like, yeah, what's the change? And then you whiff on it because yeah. you didn't hear them say that. Yeah, it's and you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit ago. It's you're going to make mistakes, and you just have to be okay with that. And like you did, you have to build on those mistakes. And like you had good people, like Bill McAtee, you said, help being able to help you out. Yeah. And if you can have that good support system in broadcasting, not everybody does, but you know, if you can find that one one or two people that are willing to help you out, it makes the biggest difference. Well, and what's cool about it, and I, and I know we're probably going to wrap up here in a second, but uh, 
That's how you learn golf as well. Yes. That's how you learn a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's why it's so important. Yeah, just just don't be a jerk, you know, yeah, and talk to people. It's really easy to be an Right, <laughs> right. Because there's if you're trying to move along in any kind of business endeavor or anything that's important to you, you gotta there's certain things you can learn in a book or on, yeah. these days it's all on a screen. But the, the really important stuff you're gonna learn from people that have done it. Yes. And if you facilitate those mm -hmm. relationships, they're, they're happy to share information and help you get better. And, and that, that's how knowledge is passed down big time yes. in the game of golf. A million percent. Yeah. So, a million um, percent. Yeah, that, that's probably one of the coolest things about golf. As, as a community, me being a PGA professional, being able to reach out to my fellow PGA professionals and ha having an issue with an operation or something to do with golf, yeah. they're more than willing to share their best practices. Exactly. And reaching over to superintendents and, well, superintendents are different category. Yeah. So, some of them. <laughs> no, some but no, 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 no. I love superintendents. I love giving them a hard time. But they, they'll, they'll exchange ideas. Yeah. You know, and, and that's this whole golf community. Exactly. It's cool like that. And, and, and I, I can count on one hand the number of people that I've met in golf. And I've been in it a long time in mm -hmm. a lot of different areas that I think just straight up are jerks. Yeah. We just don't have that many. Yeah. It, 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 it's amazing if you just act decent and reciprocate in golf. And, and that, if you're, if you're, a golfer, you're coming to Myrtle Beach to play golf, you're going to Pebble Beach to play golf, and you get paired with somebody, if you're just decent, you're going to make a friend. You exactly. know? And a lot of times that might be a lifetime friend, and you might learn something too. Like I said, like my grandmother always tells me, she's 86 years old, lives by herself in the same house for the past probably 60 years or so. It's really easy to be a nice person, yeah. and you're going to meet a lot more people being a nice person. So. I think that's a good way to end our show. He's David Williams, my co-host right here on the Charlie Reimer Golf Show podcast. Balls in the air. We got a bunch of names for this show. What's really cool about it is our brand new studio right here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the golf capital of the world. David, it's a uh, really good way to get out of the gates with you. I appreciate Charlie? it. Remember, I'm Batman and you're... Batman. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm gonna give you a chance to move up, maybe to shake and bake. Okay. Yeah, oh, you're nice. gonna have to work there. Yeah. <laughs> to get there, I'm a lot to of work. work. I'm willing to put in the work, <laughs> Charlie. Thanks for having me. You got it, folks. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you uh, next time on Balls and Air podcast. <laughs>